How you doing, Adrian? I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. We have a special guest, Igor Volsky. Igor is launching or releasing a new book. It's called Guns Down, uh, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns. Uh, and so my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, and I are really happy to have you. You've been, uh, you've worked at the Center for American Progress, and then you founded this organization, Guns Down America. Um, tell us about the new book, and congrats, by the way. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a yeah. real pleasure to be here. Uh, so the book, Guns Down, really aims to reframe the gun control debate. Uh, and I say gun control for a reason, because I believe guns are the problem. They're inherently dangerous, and so we need to figure out a way how to better control them when I say control, what I mean is we need to raise the standard of gun ownership in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book really lays out the fact that it's been 20 years since Columbine, which is hard to believe. That is crazy. Isn't it? I remember where I was. I'm, I'm sure you, of course. you do as well. And in those 20 years, and even going back a little further, both our politicians and our advocates have really adopted an incremental approach towards solving the issue. So they've talked about background checks and closing some loopholes, and that's all good, but it hasn't really worked. On the federal level, we've kind of moved backwards. And so what I argue is that in 2019, it's time for us and for our politicians to ask for what we really want. We're doing it on healthcare, we're talking about single payer, we're doing it on climate, we're talking about Green New Deal. But for some reason, when it comes to guns, we only really talk about background checks. Background checks are a good starting point, but they're not enough. What you really need, I think, is to build a future with fewer guns, where guns are harder to get. That's certainly how nations around the world have solved their gun crisis. And also states that have stronger gun laws, where those guns are harder to get, have also seen big decreases. There seemed to be a big shift in 2018. with candidates feeling more comfortable talking about um, gun safety, gun control issues, being a little more aggressive. Uh, We saw Michael Bloomberg's organization really go after uh, the NRA. We also saw um, Gabby Gifford's uh, organization as well, others who, you know, people didn't back down. And, you know, I I think some of it could have been uh, as a result of the the students from Parkland, right? Um, So, but I'm, I'm just curious. I noticed something different in 2018 in terms of candidates talking about gun control issues. Did you? I did. And I think what you're noticing is the middle shifting on this issue. That if you look at polling, not just of young people, but of Americans generally, the levels of support, not just for background checks, which as we know is like 95%, 96%, but the level of support on things that I'm spending a lot of time advocating for, things like gun licensing and gun registration are 70 and above and that includes gun owners themselves. So now, is that a nas- is that national? Those numbers are national or? numbers. Okay, uh, and how how do those numbers bear out? Have you guys how does how does it bear out in battleground? So this states? is what we're working on now, right? Yeah. To see how it bears out. But the thing that surprised me in writing this book is the amount of common ground I was able to find with gun owners as I traveled around the country. So this idea of getting a gun license, which simply means you go to a police station, 
you get fingerprinted, you pass a written test, you pass a field test, you go through a much more comprehensive background check than the NIC system. We know how problematic that is, a lot of mm -hmm. missing records. You go through all of that, there's a waiting period. A system like that, that they have in Massachusetts, has deep impact on reducing gun suicides because it gets people past that moment of crisis when they think they need a gun to end their lives. But also it significantly reduces not only gun homicides, but also gun trafficking because what trafficker is going to come in, get fingerprinted, register the weapon and, and all of that stuff. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, common ground outside of the you know small but vocal NRA crowd mm -hmm. uh, to talk about how do we rethink our relationship with guns in America and rethink what it means to own a gun in mm -hmm. America. I think it means in a free society, rebalancing your right to have a gun, but also the community's right to live, to mm -hmm. survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really smart. So you say in one of your excerpts, um, Bold and Radical, your book offers a plan, or I guess this is somebody who's um, reviewing your book, um, offers a plan that would have been embraced by our founding fathers and a plan that will actually work. You just sort of expanded on how you, how the plan would work. But tell me why you think that this is something, because I feel like the NRA and a lot of the pro-Second Amendment hardcore Supporters always say, well, this is what our founding fathers wanted. They wanted a Second Amendment right to be protected. Everyone should have the right to own a gun um, as long as they meet a very minimal set of safety standards, right? Um, tell us why you think this is something that our founding fathers would support. Well, you know, what really surprised me in writing this book is that this notion that the Second Amendment protected an individual's right to own a firearm in almost any setting is new. It didn't exist until the 1970s, until the NRA really invented it. In fact, in the late 1960s, the NRA wrote in their official publications that the Second Amendment is of no use to them in going about their mission. So this notion that the— That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, this notion the Second Amendment is uh, somehow out of sync with gun regulation is, is just wrong. Uh, and in terms of the Founding Fathers, few people also know— that the early colonies had all kinds of gun restrictions. People would go door to door to make sure you're storing your gun properly. Mm -hmm. You There'd be all kinds of restrictions about firing your gun within city limits. Um, so, you know, and especially as the country moved out west and conquered land out west, you had all kinds of gun laws in the wild, wild west. This right. really surprises people. And what they, what they saw is when you took people's guns away. And what I mean is there was literally, as you would enter the territories, you would have to give, get, you know, put your gun in a place before you would go drinking at the saloons there. Mm -hmm. What they found is when people didn't have access to their guns, the fights they had didn't escalate to, to death and to tragedy. So this notion that the founding fathers wanted everybody to have a gun is just wrong. They thought about it in terms of in the context of a militia, in the context of uh, protecting uh, protecting the colony, um, but also, of course, there's the history of the gun being used to subject uh, both Native Americans and also African slaves. Uh, Adrian and I spend a whole lot of time thinking about 2020. Um, that's really the focus of this. Thinking, pod. talking, talking, yeah, pontificating. Um, that's really the purpose of this. Podcast. So I'm curious if you were advising one of the candidates running for president on this issue, 
what would you tell them to do? What would the like? What's your five point plan? What would your five point plan for one of the candidates running for president be? Well, I would tell them, don't be afraid to be bold. Ask for what you really want, and establish a long term goal. Give voters a sense of what kind of country you see in five, ten, fifteen years when it comes to guns. For me, that's building a future with fewer guns. And you know, when we say that, we mean basically three different things getting to your five points. One is really regulating the gun industry, ensuring that the products they produce are actually regulated for safety because they're not. That's why we have militarized weapons, not just the assault weapons, but also the militarized handguns. Bucket number two is making guns harder to get. That's the licensing piece, licensing, registration, insurance. And then bucket number three is also incredibly important. Uh, and uh, that has to do with investing real federal dollars in community-based violence intervention programs that are running in cities across the country. Because where there are high rates of violence in urban environments, you're able to isolate those pockets of violence into specific streets, into specific blocks, into specific actors. And if you take people from within the community and you have them work with with those areas where there's a lot of gun violence and you work with them to change their behavior so that when there's a spat or a disagreement, it's not the gun that people reach for, but that they channel that energy and solve that crisis in some other kind of way. Those programs that really began running in Boston in the 1990s have been incredibly successful in reducing gun deaths in those communities. Now we need to really scale them, we need to really fund them. Do you think the Democrats can can if if the NRA I think benefits from the the fact that their followers are single issue voters uh, and they've got uh, while we all know that most of their money comes from the manufacturers they do have a lot of people who give them small dollar amounts and these people are focused on this one issue can the do you see the Democratic Party or progressives in general having that same type of voter, a single issue gun voter, a single issue gun safety voter. And at what point and how, and, and how do we get there? Uh, I should think the short answer is, is yes. I think the movement has really grown and matured since, since Newtown. Um, but I, I think your point about a single issue is really goes even deeper because where the NRA succeeded was they created an entire identity around gun ownership, right? It became right. intertwined with religion. It became intertwined with every other conservative political issue under the sun. And so they talk about gun owners as this these patriotic, super American people who could do nothing wrong. And they've done that for years. And it built a real sense of identity. So, so their notion of being American is intertwined with having a gun. The other side, the gun control side, has a lot of facts, has a lot of statistics, and certainly that doesn't resonate with folks in, in the same way. And so what I would suggest is in order to begin moving towards that goal of having people vote on this issue, that we have to recalibrate how we talk about building a future with fewer guns and reclaim what it means to be a patriotic American. I think being a patriotic American is – being able to show that you can handle your firearms responsibly, proving that to your community, proving that to your neighbors, 
and showing that you care about their lives and their well-being. Um, so we really need to start that process. And I think that what 18 presidential contenders uh, really have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, we were debating that earlier today. Are there 16 people running so far? I Are there 18? I think 18. Then, yeah, with Swall, I think yeah. it's 18. 18. But the, there will be 18. I mean, are you there counting will... the Oprah Winfrey advisor? The what's her name? The spiritual advisor to Oprah Winfrey? Oh, Marion Williamson. Yeah. I think she counts. Uh, yeah, I think she counts. See, I think she there counts. You go. It's really hard to keep up. I don't know her position on the guns issue. I, I don't admit. either. I don't either. We'll have to find out. Um, so you talk about this new Second Amendment compact in your book that kind of lays out 10 points on how we can revise the Second Amendment to still make it, you know, allow for people to have guns who, you know, deserve or, or, or you know, are, have met, met certain safety standards. Um, but can you, number one, talk through some of these um, pillars in your compact and also as a result of your book, is there any sort of like follow-up impact campaign or action mm. component where you want readers to, you know, take some sort of action um, as a result of reading your book and being inspired by some of the content that you lay out? Well, you know, in the Second Amendment Compact are, are those three buckets of policies I laid out, but mm -hmm. I, I leave the Second Amendment as it is because mm -hmm. I believe that both the amendment and the current interpretation by the Supreme Court allows for the kinds of reforms I, I put forward. That's Fascinating. That's really smart, too. And then in terms of action, we actually just launched a campaign, Guns Down America did, pushing the 15 largest banks to stop doing business with the gun industry until that industry can be fundamentally reformed. What I mean by that, until the products it produces can actually be regulated, until it stops producing militarized weapons for the civilian market, folks go to isyourbankloaded.org. They'll mm -hmm. see a list of 15 banks. We, by the way, researched the extent of their connections to the industry. Some banks are better than others, and so we were able to grade them. So Citibank, for instance, has a B. Wells Fargo, to no one's surprise, has an F. And then there's a lot of banks in the middle. If they go to that site, they can take direct action telling their bank that, hey, as a customer of Bank of America, my dollars shouldn't go to fund the gun industry. And I'm asking you to play your role as a good corporate citizen to push the industry to reform. Because you'll remember, corporate uh, progress was how we were able to advance on the LGBT issue, right? Mm -hmm. You first saw exactly. corporations adopt LGBT inclusive policies, and that created space for politicians to then move forward in, in the policy area. And so I think we need to do the same thing on this issue, because we can't wait for politicians to pass the laws we need People are dying today. That's right. Is there a particular state that you think is a model for the federal government? Yeah, I think it's Massachusetts. Really? Uh, Mass Not Maryland? Uh, well, the difference is that Massachusetts has a much stronger licensing, gun licensing program. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, the numbers in terms of reductions in suicides and homicides uh, are just uh, are just higher. The problem, of course, is that a lot of guns are coming in from New Hampshire where the regulations are incredibly weak. Mm -hmm. It's the same problem that, of course, Chicago has being right next to Indiana. Right. Uh, last question for you. Um any of the candidates running for office uh, impress you with their position on on guns and uh, their um, you know like their I guess aggressiveness on the issue? 
Well, look, you I think stand out? it's it's early, right? Uh, they haven't really put out any kind of real platform on guns. Yeah. But I'll say that the way Eric Swalwell talks about the NRA, the way he's prioritized guns in his campaign, I think that's very promising. I think the next step now is to define a real bold vision for this issue. I mean, he said on when he announced his candidacy that he's going to think big, he's going to think bold. And I think that should certainly apply to this issue. And that's the argument the book makes. Uh, and some some credit should go. I think House Democrats passed a, you know, they did pass a, uh, a, a background check bill uh, earlier this year. They um, did. But I was surprised to see, and I ran this analysis, yeah. I was surprised to see that the day Democrats in the House passed the background check bill, only 16 of 47 senators, Democratic senators, even tweeted about it. Wow. It kind of oh, wow. just like... Well, I, in some ways, mm. I think that was the day. There was some uh, major... There was Michael I, Cohn was happening. Michael Cohen's testimony. Yeah. And I, I actually was not... I didn't really understand why the Democrats scheduled the vote that day. That was weird because it barely got mentioned on cable news. Yeah. It, I didn't even know about it. I know. Oh, that's right. We Remember, we were tweeting. It. It. We that's were, right. Uh, we were talking. We were about having this. an exchange yeah. over Twitter, yeah. and I, you were told me about, it and I was like, I didn't, I didn't even know well, about you it. Well, you know, on cable news, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, not a single mention in prime time that night that it passed because it was all Michael Cohn. The only mention on the Sunday talk shows that Sunday after was Chris Wallace literally saying, "Nobody even knows this happened." So. Mm. Well, that's wow. uh, I, that's our. It's a fault, room for improvement. Quite frankly, there. Uh, we should have it should have been scheduled uh, differently, but at least it got passed. Hopefully, um, you know, um, obviously we'll hold our breath on the Senate, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> but you know, the key, if I may say, the key there, I think, is to really pressure people like Cory Gardner from Colorado, people like Martha McSally from Arizona. They might need to move on this issue to win to keep their seats, uh, and so they're going to be the ones who are going to have to go to Mitch McConnell and say, "Hey, listen, we got to talk about this issue in some way," and that's where you can start making progress. Igor, Vol- Igor Volsky. The book is Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns. Where is it available? Everywhere fine books are sold. Fantastic. Igor, thanks so much for joining the Electables and for my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. We'll uh, catch you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Igor. 